Cabinet of Curiosities by James Henry. Chapter 17 That evening, the Professor called Rosa and Tamor into the map room, where he sat at a wide desk surrounded by scraps of paper and ancient textbooks. The pages were thin and delicate and smelled old, a comforting, not unpleasant smell of dust and cloth. The tiny red notebook lay open in the middle of the table, looking almost embarrassed at the fuss. I've translated it as far as I can, said the professor, rubbing his face tiredly. Is reading harder if you only have one eye, wondered Rosa. Then something else occurred to her. Is it a travel journal? she asked, suddenly excited. Maybe it's said where the tribe had gone. Maybe once she had traded the information for her identity, she could go on an expedition, become Rosa the Explorer, hacking through jungle undergrowth in search of the lost tribe of very small people. But the professor shook his head. It's more a description for, as far as I can make out, some kind of ritual. Rosa's eyes opened wide. A spell book? But the professor looked unsure. If it is, it only contains the one spell, and it's a summoning ritual, one of the most dangerous spells there is. Usually, if something lives outside our world, there's a very good reason for it, and it takes a great deal of power to move from one to the other. Those creatures in the bar, for example, the ones that look like women, they use most of their energy just getting here, but then go through bodies like we use batteries. Tamor put her large head on the desk and sniffed. The pages fluttered slightly, and Rosa could see more tiny writing, what looked like sequences of instruction, odd-looking directions, and the umbrella. There it was, a neat drawing, about the size of Rosa's thumbnail, of the parrot-handled umbrella. The professor nodded. And that's not all. He turned to three more pages, showing a jar, a sword, and a coin. Four figments in all. More than normal figments, though. Treasures, the book calls them. The umbrella we already have in our possession. The jar is kept in a secret place not far from here. The sword and the coin I've seen before, but not here. Gather these treasures together, say the right words and something happens. Where the place is, what happens, I don't know. But I doubt it's anything good. The Earl knows, said Tamor. Agreed, said the Professor. He and Tamor turned to look at Rosa. The room grew suddenly very quiet. I shouldn't give him the book, should I? said Rosa. At least, not yet. The Professor sighed. I'm afraid the choice is yours, he said. A quick, easy path, the Earl had said, or a long, difficult one. Of course, she could contact the Earl now, tell him she had what he wanted, and was willing to swap it for the truth about where she'd come from, who she really was. But what would she be giving him in exchange? I want to know who I am, said Rosa quietly. I really, really want to know. Well, said Samor, you're the sort of person who risks her neck to help a flying monkey. She doesn't do any favours. Kills a monster caterpillar with an umbrella, then feels nothing but compassion for the poor dumb thing that tried to eat her. Could the Earl have told you that? Rosa looked at the notebook for a long time. The sword, the coin, and that jar thing, said Rosa. If the Earl even knows about them, can we find them before he does? The Professor nodded quietly. Rosa, are you sure about this? Yes, she said. I'm going to get the truth out of the Earl, but I'm going to do it my way. Let's find the rest of the treasures. The jar next, then, said the Professor. You'll want to wrap up warm. Chapter 18 
Rosa took her coat, which now smelled faintly of mothballs, out of the wardrobe. There was a movement behind her, just visible in the mirrors set in the back of the doors. Rosa gasped, but it was only the sentry mouse on the windowsill, going through some complicated stretching exercises. Sorry to alarm you, miss, said the mouse. It was a female, with pale brown fur and attractive jet-black eyes. Sergeant Watkins likes us to stretch regular, like keeps us alert. Can I get you anything to eat? asked Rosa. She'd noticed the professor had put a shiny new bolt on the window to make doubly sure nothing else could get in, and felt relieved. Still got a bit of caterpillar, miss, said the mouse, pointing to a green chunk on the window between the carved woodpecker and a T-shape made from a single twig. You eating the caterpillar? asked Rosa incredulously. Plenty of meat on one of them, said the mouse. Besides, there's a fair handful of us, and we didn't want to eat the prof out of house and home, like. Rosa peered at the lump of dried meat, then back at the mouse. You're not worried it'll turn you into a monster? asked Rosa. Oh, I'd love that, said the mouse dreamily. I've got a list of cats with three slaps waiting, but it hasn't happened yet. Rosa didn't quite know what to say to that, so she said farewell to the mouse and went downstairs to the professor. There was a period of negotiation with Tamor before they were allowed to go, but once Rosa promised to run straight home at the first sign of trouble, and the professor had buckled his sword under his tweed coat and put on his stout walking boots, they were finally ready to set off. But to Rosa's surprise, the professor didn't head to the front door or even to the conservatory. Instead, he took stairs down past the map room and along a long corridor that, if Rosa's sense of direction was correct, ran directly underneath the Natural History Gallery. How big is the cabinet? she asked curiously as they got to the end of the corridor. The professor began searching through his ring of keys. I've never really been sure, he answered absently. He seemed to find the right place on the iron ring, although Rosa couldn't see a key at all. But the professor twisted something in a lock, and the heavy wooden door swung open. I think it grows, as I need the space, he continued. Every time I needed to expand, I'd find a door I never knew was there, or a stairway that hadn't been there the day before. This section took the longest to find, of course. He flicked a switch, and the whole gallery was illuminated. Easily the largest room Rosa had seen so far, yet there didn't appear to be much in it. Just an enormous, empty display case in the centre of the room, with a few bare cabinets and clothes dummies scattered around. This is the biggest exhibit in the gallery, said the professor, if you can call it that. Terrible cost in glass, of course, but one has to do these things properly. The professor was standing right up to the enormous glass case. Its floor, which Rosa had at first taken to be a rockery or a dull stony garden with odd bits of greenery, now turned out to be a carefully constructed representation of a section of rocky coast. The scale altered towards the back, where a miniature lighthouse, only a foot or so high, blinked silently on and off. It's not dead, said the professor, one hand pressed against the glass, just sleeping. The lighthouse? Rosa asked. She could see small round holes in the glass now. The dragon, replied the professor. Squinting, Rosa could just make out four depressions in the heather, each in the shape of a large clawed foot. The distance between the front and rear pair was a length of about six cars, end to end. She shivered. I doubt it'll wake in my lifetime, said the professor. I had a tape made, a loop of sea noises and birds and a foghorn that went off every now and then. He wore out in the end. He turned away from Rosa, and the handle of his sword banged against the glass, making both of them jump. The professor laughed, a startling noise in this silent, seemingly empty place. I'm getting old, he said. One of the problems with this place, Rosa, it does tend to drag one back to the past, when one should be going forwards. Come on, this way. 
the gallery ended in a heavy metal door. Once again, the professor jiggled what looked like nothing at all in the lock, and the door swung open. Now stay close behind me out here, he said. You've probably got the general theme, but this next bit can be a little unnerving. Chapter 19 On the other side of the door was nothing, or, more accurately, a fifty-foot drop straight into a chasm of raging, churning seawater. Rosa instinctively stepped back, as much from the deafening noise and salty smell, almost overwhelming after the previous musty silence, as from the drop. They were still underground, in some sort of natural cavern, the rocky ceiling a good eighty feet above their heads. To the left, she could just make out the opening where the sea came in, a small patch of the night sky over the stormy waters, dusted with cold, bright stars. The professor was shouting something over the noise of the surging seawater and pointing to a spot on the other side of the chasm, at least as far away as the drop was deep. Rosa could just make out steps carved out of the stone, stretching up out of sight. But there was no way of reaching them, or at least none that didn't involve plunging to certain death, which Rosa was fairly sure wasn't part of the plan. I can't hear you, she shouted, but the roar of the waves snatched her words away as soon as they left her mouth. Now the professor was pointing down at Rosa's feet. She heard herself gasp as he stepped out over the edge and stood in thin air, suspended above the thrashing water. In a direct line from where he was standing, two short iron posts had been planted at the edge of the chasm. Right then, thought Rosa, and very, very carefully, reached out for the gap, just beyond a hole in one of the iron posts. Her fingers closed in mid-air, and what felt like a thick strand of cold metal twisted like rope. She put one foot tentatively out into space. Something that felt a lot like old wooden boards, a little slippery with salt spray, took her weight. Knowing if she didn't do this straight away, she wouldn't be able to do it at all. She gripped the handrail tightly and put her other foot on the unseen bridge. Invisible, you see, shouted the professor, or rather you don't see. Come on. Rosa swallowed. Does he absolutely have to be this excited all the time, she thought, as the professor began inching his way across the bridge. She fixed her gaze on the back of the professor's tweed coat and made herself follow it, one step at a time. Whenever he turned around, she had to look up at the roof or close her eyes, anything, but see her feet apparently hovering in the air above the boiling black water. How was that? asked the professor cheerfully, when she finally reached the iron posts on the other side of the chasm. Fun, actually, said Rosa, just a little too brightly, as she clutched the nearest post and waited for her head to stop spinning. The professor grinned at her. Knee-high taxis was in a part of town Rosa hadn't seen before. She had trotted along behind the professor as he'd headed up the stone steps, then climbed some metal rungs set into the wall before opening a manhole cover in the roof. They come up in the middle of the road, quite a way along the coast, where the pebbly beach turned into sand hills. The professor had been careful to check no cars were coming before opening the manhole cover and helping to pull Rosa up after him. The professor put the metal lid back quietly, making sure the words Warmington Council property lined up with a mark on the rim, then moved quickly to the pavement, turning his face away from the road as a car passed. The houses more or less ran out here, turning into boiled up buildings and empty shops with closing down sale posters in the windows. This was probably the furthest out of Warmington you could get while still calling it part of the town. The sign that said knee-high taxis was small and scruffy and quite low down, almost obscured by the sacks of rubbish piled up beneath the meshed over window. The professor knocked once on the door of the taxi company. 
There were two handles, Rose noticed, the second one a little low, even for her, then pushed the door open and went in. Lolling around the main seating area, full of tattered magazines and chipped coffee mugs, were three men and one woman. The woman had strikingly thick red hair, tied back in two heavy-looking pigtails. Even as Rose and the Professor entered, one of the men pushed past them and out of the door, not saying a word. Rosa couldn't help noticing the tenseness of the atmosphere, and the fact that none of the people in the room were over three feet high. The woman glared at them. Busiest night we've ever had, she snapped. So imagine how pleased I was to have you ring me up talking rubbish about some old vase. Agnetha, this is Rosa, said the professor. Rosa, do, completed Agnetha. Rosa stared at the woman, who was staring back at her. Do you know me? she asked. But after squinting at her for a good long while, the woman shook her head. You look familiar, she said. No, I never met you before. Name or name, though, for some reason. You been on telly before? Something like that? Rosa shrugged. I don't know, she said. The woman frowned. She's lost her memory, explained the professor. The police aren't interested, and we think there's magic involved. Well, magic, sniffed the woman. There you are, then. Sorry, love, can't help you. Rosa half-stepped, half-jumped back as Agnetha passed them, heading for a small, scruffy, but well-equipped kitchen. Welcome if you're coming, said Agnetha. Buttered eggs, and so on. Which meant nothing at all to Rosa, but the professor seemed to catch the urgency and strode after her. Behind them, the dark-haired man scribbled something on a scrap of paper and handed it to one of the drivers, who headed off immediately out of the front door without a word. I imagine you've got a lot of custom for those new people hanging around, said the professor lightly, as Agnetha pulled a stool from under a counter and started rummaging around in the high cupboard. Rosa opened her mouth to ask if she could help, but caught a warning glance from the professor just in time and shut it again with a snap. You're joking, Agnetha snorted. Brought their own taxes with them, didn't they? The professor looked taken aback. They did? Clumsy great things. Cobbled together from two chassis each, I'll be bound. Agnetha's hands were sorting deftly through the canisters of tea and coffee while she talked. Rosa liked the way her fingers moved, quick and nimble, belying the silliness of their owner. Agnetha passed the professor a jar. It didn't look like much, just an old, battered clay container. Someone who wasn't very good at spelling had tried to label it as honey. They hadn't got it quite right. Had a bang on ahead of you? she asked Rosa. Um, said Rosa, still looking at the jar. Not exactly, no. The professor hesitated. We don't really know what happened. But we think the jar might be a clue, he said finally. I wanted to see if it jogs her memory. Well, does it? asked Agnetha, not unreasonably. It doesn't look familiar, admitted Rosa, but do you mind if I hang on to it, just in case? Chasing round after bits of crockery, Agnetha said. Sounds a roundabout way of finding out someone's identity, if you ask me. Well, said the professor, if you have any better ideas, we'd be... You want to get on the internet, said Agnetha. The professor's mouth fell open. What's the internet? asked Rosa, interested. Agnetha sighed. Knee-high Taxi's computer sat in the corner of the office, half buried under piles of timesheets and empty sandwich wrappers. The screen showed an old castle on the edge of a dark lake. Ooh, spooky, thought Rosa. The embarrassing thing is, confided the professor as he tapped carefully at the keyboard after Agnetha had set it up for them, then marched out to answer a ringing phone. This technically belongs to the cabinet. Should have thought of it earlier, but I never had much truck with the things, and Agnetha thought it would be just the thing to help us set up the business. Ah, here we go. 
The landscape on the monitor shimmered and vanished. A cursor appeared, blinking at the top of the form. You just type your name into here, he said. The words Rosa Dew appearing in the small box in the middle of the screen. And press enter. The screen froze for a second, then filled with lines of text while a small message appeared below the box. 1,447,521 matches found, it said. Please consider revising your search criteria. On the first page were rows of due coffee mugs, t-shirts, toys, baseball hats and badges. All of them had either Rose's face on them or an intertwined R&D. I am famous, breathed Rosa. That's why the policeman put the phone down on me. He thought it was someone playing a stupid joke. The professor was still scrolling down the page. There were jewellery kits, board games, carrying cases. The list went on and on. But what about me? said Rosa. The real me, I mean. Try further on. But there was just more of the same, even a jigsaw. Too much information, said the professor. The curse of the modern age. We need to refine the search a little. Rosa leaned forward and typed, The real Rosa Dew, into the box. A second pause, and then nothing. No matches found, it said. They tried, Rosa Dew the person. Who is Rosa Dew? And even, I am Rosa Dew. Nothing. Rosa slumped back in defeat. I'm so sorry, said the professor. I thought we were getting someone for a moment. I really did. But Rosa had spotted something. Who are D.I. Inc.? she asked. Looks like they make all this stuff. Maybe they'll know. D.I. Inc. typed the professor into the search box. This time, the computer came up with fewer than 80 matches, but each one had the same title. Dorincourt Industries, said Rosa and the professor together.